0: Bible, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback around you. You're more than welcome to grab one of those. I believe it will land you on page 959, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we get started here this morning, I kind of have two opposite emotions. I'm thankful and happy to be here uh, with you guys and to to be able to look at the scriptures together and worship together. Um, I'm also cognizant of the fact that um, around the world though there are brothers and sisters of ours uh, who are having a tough go of it um, and so I would encourage you to keep up with that news and to keep up with some of the things happening um, and then to take seriously your role to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted um, I think we're called to suffer with them and in some ways for them and then in, in whatever ways we can to, to help them out and so um, I do think the work of prayer is an important one uh, and so May we be praying for those um, who are in our family, who are in the body of Christ, who around the world today um, perhaps are fearful uh, for their lives and perhaps are in situations not as beneficial as ours. Um, So we want to keep that in mind as we worship, but we do uh, want to um, enjoy the blessings God has given us and dive deeper into the scriptures this morning. We are in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. We're just about coming to the end of it. Um, We have looked at various functions of the Holy Spirit and this morning we will land on probably one of the most controversial and and some of the most confusing aspects of the Spirit's work in believers lives and so um, what I'd ask of you is to have an open mind and then to put on your thinking cap okay and just go with me and it's okay if you have questions and it's okay if you don't agree with me 100% on everything Um, and it's okay if some of this is new to you Um, it's okay for all those things to be true as we explore the scriptures this morning. Um, we've, we've kind of outlined three aspects of the Spirit's work in believers' lives. So the first one is he brings God close to us and brings us close to God. We experience God's power and his presence, his, his intimate love for us through the work of the Spirit. Romans 5 says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts of the Spirit. The second one is the Spirit transforms us. We looked last week at the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit transforms us into Christ, into Christ-likeness. Um, So that we are people who exhibit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And then the third aspect to the Spirit's work in the believers' lives from the Scriptures is that the Spirit empowers believers to witness and to serve. Um, The Spirit empowers (coughs) believers uh, to go out and do mighty and powerful and wonderful things in the name of Jesus and on behalf of the kingdom. You see this all throughout the Scriptures. One of my favorite stories from church history is of a guy named Francesco. Which is an awesome name. Uh, Francesco was born in Italy at the height of the Middle Ages, and growing up, Francesco was famous for being a bit of a troublemaker. Okay, and so he had kind of a gang of friends with him, and they would go around and do some vandalism, some fun stuff like that. Um, when he was in his mid-20s, Francesco um, went to war is again, height in the Lages. It's a very bloody, nasty time. Um, and, and the town that he was living in in Italy was going to war with a neighboring town, a neighboring city. And so he enlisted and, and went and joined. And while he was in battle and conflicts, he got captured. And he became a prisoner of war. And, and he was in prison um, over in enemy territory for about a year. And then he got out of prison, but it took him about a year to get back home as well. Um, and something happened during these, these two years um, for Francesco... Uh, where he slowly but surely became converted to Christianity. Um, He became a Christian, and he recounts this kind of defining moment in his life as being in a church on his way, traveling back, trying to get home, and and seeing a crucifix on the wall, and kind of hearing a voice from that side of the church saying, Rebuild my church. Francesco, rebuild my church. And so he started pretty literally, apparently the church was falling down, so he stayed there for a couple months and kind of built up the walls. And then he kind of took that as like a spiritual vocation, like my job is going to be to somehow reinvigorate the church. And in fact, that's exactly what he did. He went back to his hometown and started this huge movement of God, this huge revival um, that continues on to this day, continues to be impactful to this day. Uh, He did it primarily by adopting uh, a poor lifestyle. And so he took the commands of Jesus about money and wealth very, very literally and very seriously. And so he kind of got rid of all his possessions. He came from a kind of wealthy family. So let's just say he was Sugarland Kid, all right, and and Sugarland Kid had a change of mind, started selling his stuff, giving it to the poor, going around, hanging out with the poor, going to village to village, preaching, okay? He's hanging out in the ghetto, like Missouri City, okay? <laughs> Stafford, he's, I mean, there are no boundaries for this man, he's out of control. And so um, what happens, though, is he is selling his stuff and living this kind of lifestyle of poverty and, and preaching the gospel is his dad gets upset with them. Um, His dad says, I don't like what you're doing. I don't want you to do that. And then second, that's my stuff, right? I mean, I bought that for you. This is my money. And so they couldn't quite work it out between themselves. And so as things go, sometimes the dad took him to court. Um, I don't know if you were aware of this, but just a couple of weeks ago, a teenager actually took her parents to court and sued them for what she thought she did or didn't deserve financially. Um, from her parents so it's been happening since the middle ages okay um so they're in court and francesco real famously is in front of the judge and his dad's laying this out and saying you need to be respectful of my money and do what i ask you to do with it um and you can't sell it you can't give it away to the poor and francesco goes then i renounce all of your money uh and i learned now not to call you my father but to call my god in heaven my father and he actually took off all his clothes to wear his butt naked in the court And he walked over and gave it to his dad and then walked out. And then he was done. He he said, I'm out. I won't take any of yourself anymore. I won't sell it anymore. Um, And I'm going to live this life of poverty. He starts this community of monks, of people who adopt this kind of simple lifestyle and and seek communion with God. Um, And he becomes known as St. Francis of Assisi, um, a real famous saint. Um, Most of you probably heard of him, St. Francis. starts this big movement this big revival in the church real famously uh there's a quote attributed to him We're not quite sure if it goes to him or not but the quote is preach the gospel of all times and if necessary use words again it's kind of like abraham lincoln right everything abraham lincoln said like you can find everything attributed to abraham lincoln and you're kind of like i wonder if he said that or not uh same with francis we're not sure quite if that quote goes back to him or not sounds like something maybe he could say um, but he's this is a real famous Saint. Now, interestingly, about Saint Francis, what I want to focus on this morning, and one of the reasons he is one of the more interesting characters in church history to me is that there's a part of his life most people don't focus on, and most people kind of skip over and miss out on. And that part of his life is this very mystical, spiritual part of his life. Francis was a man who, just as much as he was known for his poverty and his preaching, was known for these kind of supernatural <laughs> encounters that he would consistently have. And so one of my favorite stories about Francis is um, Francis and a wolf, okay? There was this village apparently around where Francis was preaching that was terrorized by a wolf. It was coming into the village, was eating children. Okay, hide your children, hide your kids, hide your <laughs> wife. Wolves come in. Apparently got so bad that – so sorry for that. Apparently got <laughs> so bad that there were – Um, staying in their houses, right? I mean, the whole village kind of went on lockdown. And so Francis, think of this old kind of monk, is like, what am I going to do? Of course, I'm going to go find the wolf. So he walks out to go find the wolf. He's got, like, his crew, right, with him, but they're, like, 50 (laughs) yards behind, right, just in case. And sure enough, the wolf comes out, all snarly and nasty, about to chomp up um, Francis. And Francis says, stop. In the name of Christ, I tell you to stop. He says, this is not working out. You're going to stop terrorizing this village, and y'all are going to make a deal, and y'all are going to both keep to it. They're going to feed you, and you're going to keep them safe. You're going to not harm them. And then the story goes, right, for the next two years, the wolf died two years later, sadly. But for the next two years, uh, the wolf would go door-to-door and get fed and, and never harmed anybody. It was kind of the village pet there. Um, and Francis seemed to have a lot of things like this happen around him. Like he would not see this kind of bad he'd just go and counter it in this kind of – Spirit empowered, powerful way, and just kind of bring God's will to that situation. Uh, the story is told of a little girl that Francis came across uh, who was blind, and so Francis spit in his hands and kind of stirred it up and then put it on her eyes, and all of a sudden she could see. And if that sounds really weird to you, I mean, it shouldn't sound that weird because do you remember Jesus does this in the Gospels? This is apparently like one of the prime methods of getting people eyesight. <laughs> I tried it a couple times. I got slapped once.
1: <laughs> no
0: no sight yet, but we'll keep working on it. I think he's never mind. Uh, filter, so many. Francis is known for uh, encountering this man with a tumor size of a bread loaf on his back, and apparently Francis lays hands on the guy and, and prays, and then the tumor disappears. It's gone, and the man is healthy. He has this very spiritual... Uh, mystical, supernatural life where he is able to accomplish kind of miraculous, spectacular things. Um, now, what interests me about Francis is a couple things. One, just the fact that he lived such a life um, I think is, is interesting. I don't walk in that kind of power. Okay, I don't walk in that kind of healing ability. And then two, the fact that um, many people, when they think about Francis, actually screen that part of his life out. It interests me a lot. Um, Francis is very well known for his lifestyle of poverty. He's very well known for his um, kind of Society and community that he set up. He's not as well known for this kind of mystical, spiritual aspect in his life. I think perhaps we sometimes have a tendency to do that, uh, to, in history, look back on figures and kind of screen out the things in their life that make us uncomfortable. Uh, So we hear about Francis talking to a wolf and making him peaceful, and we're kind of like, that sounds kind of silly. So that's just kind of like legend, right? I mean, Francis taking his clothes off in the court, we're cool with that. Mm Francis talking to a wolf, not so cool with that. We do that with the scriptures as well, I think. I think sometimes we screen out the more supernatural or the more kind of weird aspects of our faith. But the scriptures are full of these kind of power encounters where the spirit does something dramatic through a believer. If you remember Paul, Paul the Apostle, um, Paul, we often think of Paul as our guy, okay? Paul is smart, he's sharp, he, he thinks things through, right? He's, he's, he's uh, illiterate, he, he writes and he reads and he teaches, Paul, though, again, is a very mystical, very spiritual, very supernaturally empowered man. Um, Paul is an exorcist. Paul casts out demons throughout his ministry. Um, Paul speaks in tongues. He says, in fact, he speaks in tongues more than anyone he's ever met. Paul claims to have these visions where he goes into the third heaven. Um, Paul um, has these miracles. Remember, Paul's handkerchief falls off and someone touches it, and they get healed. Right? I mean, Paul... Himself is this kind of no stranger to this very supernaturally empowered lifestyle where, where God does extraordinary things through him, um well beyond his means. Um and what I want to explore this morning, and the reason I bring up Francis and, and Paul is because I sometimes question and wonder if we have domesticated God and domesticated what God expects or wants or calls of us to do through our lives. And so we're we're more comfortable with certain things. So we're comfortable with with God expecting us to talk to our neighbor. Um, or with God expecting us to serve our our friends and our family, but but perhaps are more weirded out or, or less comfortable with some of these more supernatural encounters that, quite frankly, you find throughout the Scriptures. I mean, the Scriptures are just so full of them. And in fact, whenever you talk about the Spirit, whenever you look at the Spirit working in the Scriptures, you're going to see the Spirit doing this over and over again. The Spirit taking a believer, whether it's a prophet in the Old Testament or a judge like Samson, Or believers in the New Testament, and then doing something powerful through them. Doing something that only God can do through them. Um, Jesus seems to operate like this during his life. Um, Jesus' miracles, his exorcisms are always by the power of the Spirit. Same with Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Same with the early church, filled with the Holy Spirit. So this morning I want to look at um, this work of the Holy Spirit, that he does these powerful things through us. We call it spiritual gifts. Um, the, the Spirit gives us gifts and empowers us to do certain things. And so um, I want us to, to look at the fact that perhaps the scriptures call us to live a more supernatural life, um, more characterized by the divine presence and power, um, than perhaps we're comfortable with or used to. So um, we'll pick it up in 1 Corinthians 12, okay? Um, I'm probably going to raise up a lot of questions for you this morning. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is the main passage we have, all right, for spiritual gifts. If you really want to dig into spiritual gifts, understand it. I mean, really spend some time here in these three chapters, 12 through 14. Um, but we'll read 12, 1 through 11 here together. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. Now concerning spiritual gifts, that spiritual um, should be capital S, okay? If you get a pen. I've kind of done a little like grammar mark on this, all right? This is not spiritual in like the kind of new age sense where we all have this desire for to experience something beyond us right this is holy spirit right this is a gift from the holy spirit spiritual capital s persons god now concerning these gifts from the spirit brothers i do not want you to be uninformed you know that when you were pagans you were led astray to mute idols however you were led therefore i want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of god ever says jesus is accursed and no one can say jesus is lord except in the holy spirit now verse four here's where we get into it there are varieties of gifts So, different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit who gives them. And there are varieties of service, so different ways that you can serve the body and unbelievers, but the same Lord who commands you to serve them. And there are varieties of activities. There's all kinds of things you can do, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 7 is a really important verse here. To each individual believer in the community, they're given a manifestation or an experience of the Spirit that builds up the church that advances the gospel for the common good, not just for their own good, for the common good. For to one, Paul says, is given the spirit um, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith, by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, again important. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So if we were to define a spiritual gift, a spiritual gift would be an identifiable expression of the Spirit's work in and through your life. It's, it's a, a activity, it's a doing, it's an action that the Spirit performs through you. It's a, a way that the Spirit empowers us to, to um, act in ministry, and to act in evangelism, and to act in witness, and to act in service. The Spirit gives gifts to the body of Christ, to all those who follow Christ, in order that they may more powerfully serve and follow and bear witness to Christ. This is what you see in the book of Acts, right? You've got this group of Christians, they're following Christ, and they can kind of do this on their own. I mean, they can go out and spread the news and give sermons and things like that, but the Spirit gives them a little extra oomph, right? The Spirit allows them to perform miracles, and the Spirit works through them um, and speaks in tongues, and the Spirit works through them and performs these exorcisms. And in this way, the kingdom comes with not just word, but with power as well. Um, There are signs and wonders that accompany the preaching of the word. Um, This is what a spiritual gift is. It is um, the ability of the spirit to do something divine, do something powerful through you, something that you can't do, but something that God can do, and he chooses to do it through a human being. Again, just like you have these limited examples of in the Old Testament with prophets and judges. Um, Now, we've got to be careful because um, we'll talk history a little bit. But for a while, the church, particularly in our context, has ignored the spirit and spiritual gifts. Um, and in the 20th century, there's this big revival in the spirit and, and spiritual gifts, and it kind of blew up all over the world. And so we kind of, kind of evangelicalism, kind of our church culture, I think where most of us come from, um, had to respond to that, right? Had to kind of take awareness of it and be like, okay, yeah, we need to do something with the spiritual gifts. And unfortunately, what we've sometimes done, and it always kind of irks me, is we've made the spiritual gifts just like a Christian version of the Myers-Briggs. Right? I mean, it's just like a baptized version of a personality test. Um, spiritual gifts are not just what you're naturally good at. So, so if you're just a naturally good speaker, that's not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is something that the Spirit does through you that can't be explained by your natural abilities. Does that make sense? I can heal someone of a headache by giving them Tylenol, right? And that can be explained... All those sums, all those can be added together and get the equals so you can get the sum. Um, but if I lay my hand on somebody, right, and their headache disappears, there's something happening there that goes beyond what I've contributed to the situation. That would be an act of the spirit, a spiritual gift. Um, now, oftentimes, they converge with our natural abilities. I think oftentimes spirit gifts us um, in, in different ways that build upon what we're naturally inclined to. But We've got to be careful. Um, spiritual gifts aren't just figuring out what we're already good at, right? There's a danger in that. And there's a danger in doing church that way, right? Where we, we end up just relying on ourselves. We have no <clears> empowerment <throat> by the Spirit. Um, we just kind of pretend we do, but in reality, we're, we're doing it all by ourselves. And we'll never get the results, and we'll never get the life that we are meant to get um, that way. Um, so the Spirit uh, working through you, the way you know the sign that it's a spiritual gift is that the end result is greater than what you put into it, right? Um, so we'll talk about different spiritual gifts Um, I don't walk in all of the the various kinds of gifts. I think Paul says nobody does. Um, But I I do and believe I have walked in the gift of prophecy. Um, For me, what that looks like is not delivering a good sermon. Because naturally, I'm a decent public speaker. It's just kind of a skill set I have and have developed, right, outside of the Holy Spirit. Um, And I can do it for things other than church, right? Right? Like the same way I can give kind of like an inspirational sermon, I can give kind of like an inspirational speech about a company, right? And tell a couple cute stories and have the right kind of illustrations and use my voice in the right way and get kind of everybody to where I want them to get, right? I mean, it's not rocket science. Some people can't do it, but, but it, I just kind of have the natural inclination to be able to, to kind of pull that off. Um, that, that's not a gift of the spirit, right? A gift of the spirit is, is if I were to say something um, and its effect or the truth that it expresses goes beyond my knowledge, goes beyond the sum of all the wisdom I've acquired and all the books that I've read right? that's what we would identify as a gift of the Spirit now, we've got to compare the gifts of the Spirit to the fruit of the Spirit because there are important distinctions okay? Paul says that all Christians will have all of the fruits of the Spirit remember the fruit of the Spirit it's singular for Paul um, in Galatians 5 you can't have one without the other we talked about that last week love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness this is the work of the Spirit in us to produce Christ-likeness Paul expects this out of every believer. All of the fruits. He doesn't expect Michelle to have love, me to have peace, Marcus to have joy, Adam to have self-control. Okay? All of us should be expressing all of those together as we um, conform into Christ's image. But Paul clearly says here and elsewhere in the scriptures that not everybody has the same gifts. Okay? In verse 4, there are a variety of gifts. In verse 11, all are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If you look later on in chapter 12 and verse 27... Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping and administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The implication, the implied answer that Paul's looking for is no, right? Are all of you prophets? No, of course not. Are all of you teachers? No. Are all of you working miracles? No. Do all possess the gift of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret No, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Paul's going to say, not everybody has all the gifts, and that's part of the point. That's why we have to stick together as a community. Together, we bring all the pieces to the puzzle that we need. But by ourselves, not one of us have all of it um, down. Now, you've got just a couple places in Scripture that will kind of really dig into the way that the Spirit gifts believers. It's assumed um, as an experience throughout the story of Acts, the early church, and then Paul only mentions it to correct problems with it. Does that make sense? Um, so sometimes we look in the Bible and we go, why don't we have more of something? Um, and the, the reason is not because it's not important or it wasn't real. Um, the reason is just because it was so assumed, right, that you didn't need to teach on it. You only brought it up when it was going out of, out of proportion, right, when something was going wrong with it. Paul speaks of the spiritual gifts as something that's kind of obvious to all the churches. Um, and he brings it up and, and lists them off and talks about them when something's gotten out of place, which is what's happened in the Corinthian church, because they're saying one gift's better than another gift. Right? If I have this gift, I'm higher more spiritual than you are. If you have this gift, you're not as useful to the body as we are. Um, if I have this gift, I'm more important and more famous and more powerful and, and more spiritual than you are. And so Paul has to address it. Um, you can look. There are the passages here in 12. Um, there's a list of gifts. We read it from verse 4 through 11. There's another list in verse 27 to 31. That mentions a couple of different gifts, okay? Administration, um, helping is mentioned as a gift, teachers. Romans 12 also gives us a list of the gifts of the Spirit. If you flip, keep your finger here, but flip to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 3, I believe it'll take you to 948 in your ESV hardbacks. Paul says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, again, the gifts are different. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Again, in Romans 12, you see um, there's a list of the gifts that the Spirit gives, and he mentions some different ones, right, from the ones that are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He'll list some gifts, gifts in Ephesians 4. He'll list some gifts. Um, uh, uh, just two of them, I believe, in, in 1 Peter. Um, none of these lists, I think, is meant to be exhaustive, right? Um, Paul never sat down in 1 Corinthians 12 and said, here are the gifts of the Spirit, right? In um, each of these places, he's giving specific examples of how the Spirit works through people powerfully. And there's all kinds of different gifts of the Spirit seen here. I think if you wanted to look at the list and group them together, I don't think it's perfect, but you could maybe kind of broadly group them into three categories, Okay. Um, You have the category of serving, service gifts. You have the category of um, miracles, mighty works. And then you have the category of inspired speech or inspired utterance. Um, These these serving gifts are kind of what we would probably consider the more ordinary gifts, right? I mean, notice he mentions administration as a gift of the spirit, right? Being able to organize things, being able to plan things, being able to look out at a calendar, get people together. Um, That's a gift of the spirit, Again, that's not just something that some people are naturally good at. It is, right? But if the Spirit gifts you to do that, what, what that's meaning is, um, in some extraordinary way, right, um, beyond what you would normally be capable of, the Spirit lets you administrate um, in order that the body might be built up and that God's mission might advance. Um, that can be a gift of the Spirit. Now, we look at that and kind of think that's kind of normal every day, right? Um, there are these service gifts, exhortation, acts of mercy, um, then you have these, these miracle gifts, these mighty work gifts. These are kind of the more, um, these get more attention, right? So healings, um, people are healed, or, or exorcisms, demons are cast out, these kind of works. Um, we have to admit in the scriptures, these seem like a common experience for Christians. This <coughs> so is common of Jesus' life. He and the 12 disciples, he gives that job to the 12 disciples. In the gospels, they go out and cast out demons and heal people. They said, this is how you know the kingdom of God has come. The early church in the book of Acts is consistently healing people of their sicknesses and casting out demons. Again, acts that go beyond what they themselves can contribute. Not just, here's some medicine and here's some advice, right? Paul at one point tells Timothy, drink some more wine. It'll make your tummy feel better. It'll make you a little bit happier. We all win. Um, but, but Paul wouldn't have considered that a gift of the Spirit, right? Paul didn't heal Timothy. He just gave him some advice, right? It was just common sense, um, Healing is is something that goes beyond what you can contribute there um, to that situation. Um, Again, it seems unusual to us. It seems like things that perhaps don't occur um, or occur as much, but very common in the scriptures, and and Paul says here, this is one of the gifts that the Spirit gives to God's people. Um, He he works these things through them. And then you have inspired utterance, inspired speech, which is prophecy uh, in tongues primarily, prophecy in tongues. Prophecy is not, don't think of it as predicting the future, Think of it as just God speaking through you to somebody else, right? Um, I think a lot of times prophecy is just like applied, applying scripture to other people, like telling someone um, what loving their neighbor would look like in that example. Um, You're taking a a kind of scriptural um, truth and then applying it in this real concrete way. It's God speaking through you. Um, This is what the prophets did in the Old Testament. They did sometimes tell about the future, but more often than not, they were talking to the people around them about that moment right then. Um, and about what's going on. And so um, prophecy, Paul will say that prophecy is the kind of gift to be desired. Um, He'll kind of elevate that in a sense uh, over the other gifts, although he's always saying all the gifts are are kind of equalizing. If you look at at, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says this in chapter 14, verse 1. I think this is a very important verse for us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So the Corinthians had kind of elevated tongues. Okay, speaking of tongues. And so um, the reason he probably elevates prophecy is to counterbalance um, the tongues. But someone would elevate prophecy, there's probably an equal (coughs) counterbalance coming that way, right? No gift is better than the other. They all need each other. And notice that he starts that command with pursue love. We'll talk about that. Um, but love has to be at the center of all of our uses and all of our experiences and all of our seeking after the gifts. But it's especially that you may be able to be prophesying, prophesying that you may be able to have God speak through you to somebody else. Again, not just being a good people reader, like figuring out that you're sad, but but actually being able to say stuff um, that goes beyond what, what you know or understand or have wisdom toward. That you would hear and be receptive to the Spirit and allow Him to speak and, and talk through you. It would be um, a prophecy as yes. tongues is, um, one of these controversial gifts. Um, it's, uh, speaking in this kind of angelic language, sometimes in, in other human languages, um, that you don't know. But I think in this case, in first Corinthians, we're talking about this kind of angelic language. Um, and, and tongues is again, if we're honest in the scriptures, a very consistent experience of the early Christians. Um, I mean, it, it, I understand it kind of weirds us out. I get it. Um, but it's just hard to, get at, it's hard to get around, right, when you're reading through Acts, um, when you're looking at the early church. Almost every time the Holy Spirit shows up, they start talking in tongues. And as weird as it might seem to some of us, and as cultish as it might seem, right, this is just a fact of the scriptures over and over and over again. To the point where um, one of the large movements that started in the 20th century said this. If you don't have tongues, if you don't speak in tongues, if you've never spoken in tongues, you probably don't have the Holy Spirit. Because this is such a consistent pattern. In scripture, The Spirit shows up and you receive tongues. You start speaking in this new um, divine foreign language to you. Um, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I don't think you have to uh, experience tongues um, to have proof that you've received the Spirit. I think Paul is clear about this, right? now everybody has the gifts. Do you all speak in tongues? No. Um, I think there are examples in Scripture where the Holy Spirit shows up and people don't speak in tongues. It's not common. It's not the norm, but it's there. It happens. Um, and I think, again even historically, if you look at the leaders of those kind of movements, they've started to back off of statements like that. Um, So I once worked at a bookstore where there was a a girl who went to a Pentecostal church who worked there as well. She was very concerned about my salvation because I had not spoken in tongues. Um, And it was, she's always kind of amused me, uh, particularly because apart from her speaking in tongues, there was probably nothing in her life that (laughs) seemed like the spirit was there, right? And so um, and, and even these kind of Pentecostal leaders have backed off uh, in large part and said, yeah, this is not what we meant. <coughs> tongues aren't a requirement, aren't the defining proof. In fact, love would be. Um, love is the center of all of these things. Um, the fruit of the Spirit, centered in love, is the proof that the Spirit has been working there. And then the gifts manifest in different ways and <coughs> at different times um, among different people. But tongues are one of these gifts that Paul mentions here. So you have spiritual gifts, Paul says. Um, they're given to the believers to help them, to empower them. Um, and the question that we come to today, I think, is, is this still happening? So does what, what Paul say to the church in Corinthians in, in Corinth, um, does that still apply to us? Does the Spirit still give gifts to you and I that empower us to act in supernatural ways and do things that are beyond our capabilities? And if so, does the Spirit still give the same gifts? Like, does the Spirit still give people the gift of healing? That they might like lay hands on someone or pray over them and, and all of a sudden a sickness would be healed? Or does the Spirit still give the gift of tongues? That people still speak in these angelic languages? Does the Spirit still prophesy through people? Does the Spirit still speak words that are directly from God through human beings? Now, um, for a while, Christians in our culture started to answer this question negatively. We started saying, no, these kind of gifts aren't available and shouldn't be expected by the church. Um, and, and partially this had to do with the fact that um, there was this historical development called the Enlightenment that happened. Have you heard the Enlightenment, the modernity, um, the scientific and technological revolution, right? We started learning a whole lot about the world. And what happened is as we learned more about the world, um, we kind of started to change our ideas about God right we used to think that the rain came because we did a rain dance okay and we got the god's of rain to come and give us rain and all of a sudden we can study the 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 meteorology patterns right and just watch the weather channel and just have it rain we don't we don't need that anymore And, and so we started to think that maybe god intervenes in our lives less than we thought he did we used to think he was responsible for everything but now we think most things are just cause and effect there's this natural kind of watch that just kind of ticks. The world is this system that just kind of goes. And it's unusual for God to intervene. Um, but that's not a scriptural worldview, okay, looking at the world. According to the scriptures, God is always intervening. God is always controlling all these things. Um, God doesn't unusually step into humankind and human history. Um, he usually does this. He usually heals people. He usually comes and does these powerful things to people's lives. Um, but because of this way of thinking, um, some Christians start saying, you know what, Um, we should stop expecting these kind of things right it would be odd of God to come heal people we got medicine we don't need God to heal people like that anymore it would be odd of God to um, do this speak in tongues okay we've got digital communication we can do all these different things these kind of gifts are, are weird and unnatural to us and they seem and they smell and they feel like this kind of ignorant past right where people 2,000 years ago had all these silly ideas and had these silly religious rituals but now we've kind of grown out of that. Um, We've kind of grown up from that. Now, to think that and to say that these gifts are no longer available to the church, a position you call uh, supersessionationism. Supersessionationism, I think. Supersessionism. There we go. Um, (laughs) Basically, they're over, right? Um, They've been... uh, I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) uh, To get to this position, you have to of make your way through the bible right and deal with the fact that they're so common in the bible and so what people do is they started coming up with this theory um that the gifts stopped after the apostolic age so after the age of the apostles the gifts stopped being given to the church and we had these more normal gifts um that were given to us and the, the text that was commonly used as a proof text is actually found here in first Corinthians 13 if you look at first Corinthians 13:8, there's a passage that talks about the gifts of the spirit in them and so they went here and said aha Here's where the Bible talks about these gifts ending and no longer being given to the church. Paul says, Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will pass away. But they will come when people won't prophesy anymore. As for tongues, they will cease. Days are going to come when the Christians don't speak in tongues. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have fully been known. And So the argument was that after the apostolic of the Age, particularly when the Christians got the Bible, when the canon was finalized, and we got the scriptures, we no longer needed God to speak through people, right? Because we had these pages, and, and we had this to hear from God, and we no longer needed God to um, have us speak in tongues, because we had developed these other ways to evangelize, and these other ways to um, understand God's heart for us and to communicate with him. And, and they said it on this text, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass. The question is though, is the perfect here referring to the Bible, or to the end of the apostolic age, the end of the age of the apostles? Um, I can't find you a legitimate biblical scholar who thinks so. In um, in fact, People who now say that spiritual gifts aren't given out, they don't even try anymore from texts like this. I mean, they just realize that it's a losing argument. Um, the perfect here is talking about new creation. New heaven, new earth, resurrection of the dead. Jesus comes back, all right? We're known fully as we've been fully known. That's not true right now. In this in-between time where the kingdoms come, um, but the kingdoms not fully come, Paul says there's gifts. There's gifts. When the kingdom fully comes, there'll be no more gifts. You won't need a prophesy, you won't speak in tongues, there'll just be love, faith, and hope, he says. But the church, even today, in the 21st century, is in these in-between times. Perfect has not come. I think biblically, you would, you would have to come to the conclusion that these spiritual gifts, there's no good reason to think these spiritual gifts are no longer given to the church. And there's no good reason not to expect God to work through people in the ways that he has worked through people in the scriptures. Now, Um, We can look at uh, experience. Um, Again, I think it's largely a question of worldview. Um, When you look at the world, is it the kind of world where God can intervene and do weird stuff? Or is it the kind of world where God is mostly far away and rarely intervenes? I mean, that decision, how you view the world, is going to largely affect whether you expect, right, to be able to do spiritual, supernatural things, or whether you should, right? I mean, that's the difference between praying for someone to be healed of cancer and then sending them to go get chemo, right? I think most of us would fall in the middle, right? We'd take a happy medium of that. We're going to pray for healing, and we're going to go get your chemo. Um, we expect God to work, and we know that God has revealed certain ways that we can work. And we're going to go at both sides at the same time, right? We're going to take both approaches. I think that's good. I think that's healthy. Um, throughout church history, you've seen these, these gifts experience. There's been big revivals of them. Again, you saw this with Francis. Um, In the 19th and 20th century, you had a really big revival of the spiritual gifts. This is what started what we call the Pentecostal movement, which is what we associate with people who speak in tongues uh, and kind of have these more spirit power encounters. Um, This started uh, in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, um, with a guy named William Seymour. And it was a very powerful revival. Um, People from all over the world were coming. They were all speaking in tongues. Um, People's lives were being transformed. This huge evangelism movement got started going out through all the earth. Um, and it was this really powerful movement of the Spirit um, where, where people were getting healed, people were speaking in tongues, people were prophesying, people were getting visions and dreams. The Spirit was working just like He ha- was working in the Scriptures. Um, now, with movements like that, the Pentecostal movement there in uh, the Azusa Street and, and other movements throughout church history and even other movements today, um, you kind of find a pattern. And the pattern seems to be this. Where the church is in infancy, so where the church is just starting, Or where the church is being persecuted, or where the church is about to conquer this great divide and do something special for the gospel, the spirit kind of blows up the place of gifts, okay? You see this in the book of Acts. There's a pattern in Acts. Um, When the the church is about to jump over an obstacle, like the Jewish and Gentile divide, the Holy Spirit is like boom, 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 boom everywhere, right? I mean, all these crazy things are happening, um, and he's kind of gifting them to get to this new place. Um, to get over this new obstacle, you see that even with the Pentecostal movement uh, in Azusa Street with William Seymour. Um, this was largely not actually about tongues, the revival. The controversy was about um, race, it's the time of segregation. Mm-hmm. And at Azusa Street, black people worshiped with white people because they thought this was a key sign of the Spirit, that we were one, there are no divisions among us. Um, and actually, that's what got them in trouble. And that's what actually led to their kind of demise and led to their discrediting, is that people started showing up from other places and saying, wait a minute, we're fine with, with all this revival and this emphasis on evangelism and on the tongues, but these two people can't stand next to each other while it's happening. And they wouldn't stand for that. Um, in a large way, that Pentecostal movement was actually about race more than it was about the gift of the Spirit. Um, but there seems to be this pattern that when this big action is happening in the church, the gifts of the Spirit show up in a powerful way. Now, we've got to be careful because while I think that's true, while I think that pattern is true, where the church is in embassy or it's being persecuted um, or it is about to do something big, that the, the spirit shows up, I'm not sure if that's a rule. Like, I'm not sure if that's because God desires it that way. I wonder sometimes if that's just because churches in those situations are in a better posture to receive the spirit. Does that make sense? I'm not sure you can make a, I'm not sure you should here make a virtue out of a necessity. So a church that's being persecuted, I think, is in a better posture to receive the Spirit's gifts and to rely on the Spirit for certain things um, than a church maybe um, that's wealthy and well-off and and not being persecuted. Um, So I'm not sure you can say, right, a church that's not starting or about to do some big thing or being persecuted shouldn't expect the Spirit or shouldn't be um, experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. Um, But you do see that in history happening throughout history. Um, let me be unequivocal, okay, I put my cards on the table, Um, I do believe that the Spirit continues to give believers in in the exact same way he did in the scriptures, I believe um, that people can get healed, I believe that people can heal, I believe that people speak in tongues, Uh, I believe that people can prophesy and do prophesy, I believe God speaks people through visions and through dreams, Um, I believe all these things continue to happen, in fact, um, you would know right now the church is exploding, Um, if you kind of have any kind of grasp on church history. Right now we're in this huge church growth moment in in history. Like, you've got a big timeline. In fact, we don't have all the numbers, but this might be the fastest Christianity has ever grown ever in history right now. Like, it is exploding all over the globe. Primarily, though, in south, in the southern part of the globe, and over in the east, um, so a lot of uh, South America and Africa and India and China, those places, um, maybe, again, faster numbers than we've ever seen, like than planet Earth has ever seen. Um, It's a special time to be alive uh, for a few reasons. Um, It'll be interesting because in about 200 years, um, for so long, white people have controlled like Christian theology, Mm -hmm. right? Like we wrote the theology books. We've been thinking really hard about the Bible. We've been preaching a whole lot. We've been kind of setting the tone for religion, for Christianity. That's not going to be true in a couple hundred years. Mm -hmm. It's going to be Southern Americans who are going to be kind of controlling. um, The center of Christianity is kind of moving from the white kind of, wealthy civilization over to these more third world countries where Christianity is exploding. But what you'll find in these places where it's exploding, all of these churches are very charismatic in the sense that for almost all of them, um, healings are a regular part of their experience. Uh, Prophecy is a regular part of their experience. Tongues are a regular part of their experience. Um, The average Christian today, the average Christian worship service today doesn't look like this. We're an anomaly, numbers-wise. The average Christian worship service is full of brown and black people, um, and there's going to be prophecy and people telling about dreams and visions and people being prayed over for healing and people being healed of sicknesses um, and, and demons being cast out and, and tongues being spoken in church. I mean, it's going to look a little bit different than this. Um, that the Spirit moves in different ways. He gives different gifts to different believers. I also think He gives different gifts to different churches if that makes sense I think different churches can be more gifted in different areas just as all of us individually make up First Colony Christian Church and all of us together make it work I think you have diverse local churches that all together make up the universal church and make it work um, so you need maybe some some stuck up white people who are more rational right <laughs> to balance out some of the maybe people who j- just haven't had as much time in education and in books and those kind of things have a more emotional experiential um, faith um, One is not better than the other, right? They maybe both need to meet and talk and pray and learn from each other. I I think all of it comes together and and serves to um, spread the gospel and work for the body of Christ. Um, But I do think it's still happening. I do think 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire these giftings. Earnestly desire that the Spirit would do something beyond you, um, through you. Let me list off three implications, I think, of the Spirit's gifts in our lives. And then I'll I'll give you three applications we will be done for the morning. Um, number one I think the gifts the spirit gives equalize the church Um, so one of the things it does is it means all of us have a responsibility right Um, there's not just a super pastor who leads the church and you let him kind of take over the kingdom and you just come and enjoy him on Sunday morning and then you go home and do your thing and he kind of conquers the world for Christ put his face on a billboard right Um, you know I've been trying to get a billboard set up Jake says it's going to hurt our attendance (laughs) put my face on a billboard um I don't know. Uh, but this is not the gifts are given to everybody, right? And one gift's not more important than the other. All the gifts are needed. All the individuals are needed working together. Paul will the analogy in chapter 12 of a body. The eye is not more important than the hand. The eye needs the hand to work, and the hand needs the eye to work. They all need each other. One's not more important than the other. They're all on equal footing. They're all working together for the same goal. Um, I think this also has implications for um, women in ministry Um, for a long time the church has tried to keep women out of ministry and women out of um, performing in these powerful ways what you'll find is that's not true overseas Uh, even people who will say that women can't preach in America these same denominations will say but they can preach in South America and Africa and those kind of things you know why? Um, one because there just aren't men to do it and then two because when they do it the spirit moves powerfully it's almost like the Holy Spirit's inside of women too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really weird, but it's like there's this prophecy in Joel two, and it's like Peter said it happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts two, but the Spirit is going to be poured out on men and women, and men and women would prophesy, and children. And young men would receive dreams and visions. That there would be no um, uh, divisions between gender or age. Paul says in Christ, there's no male or female, there's no Jew or Gentile. The Spirit is poured out on all equally. For those who would suggest that a woman should not get in front of people and preach or do this or do that, I just have to wonder if there's any higher qualification than the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you really believe the Holy Spirit is dwelling in that person and has gifted them to do that task, do that ministry? I mean, there's. I don't think gender outweighs that. Qualification. I don't think you say, well, they're a woman, so <laughs> guess not. Uh, it's just not how it works. The gifts equalize all of us. They make us all important, but they, all, um, they, they make none of us more important than the other. The gifts also, number two, they diversify the church. So we don't all have the same gifts. Again, different churches have different gifts, perhaps. Um, and all are needed. Again, none are more important than the other. The eye does something different than the hand. The, if the eye starts trying to be the hand, it's not going to work well. The eye needs to embrace its eyeness and do its eye thing really well. And the hand needs to be happy that it's a hand and do its hand thing really well. And together they'll work for the common good. All are needed, none are more important. Again, this body imagery works well. And then three, the gifts are united and utilized in and through love. So, so this 1 Corinthians 13, this love passage that, that's right at every wedding that's ever been done in the history of the world, is <laughs> sandwiched right here in the middle of the discussion on spiritual gifts. Paul's saying, look, as we talk about these spiritual gifts, as I tell you, desire the spiritual gifts... Don't miss out on the fact that if you're not loving people, I could care less what spiritual gifts you have. He said it's, it's more than worthless. You could be speaking in tongues. You could be healing people. Paul says you could move mountains. And if you're not doing it with a loving heart and with a loving purpose and out of love and for love, then it, it, I mean it's, it's just not impressive to anybody. You're wasting your time. This will be the type of person Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. when He says, you did all these great things in my name, but I never knew you jesus doesn't say you didn't do anything he says you prophesied you cast out demons in my name but he says depart from me i never knew you well he says you can you can sometimes work in these areas but not have love and he says if that's if that's true you need to be very careful whether you have this gift or this gift or this gift or this gift no matter how you experience them or walking them you better have at the core of all of that Christ-likeness: love the fruit of the spirit nurtured and grown in your heart and in your life. Now, some applications. Three ways that perhaps we can seek and practice our spiritual giftings. Um, again, I think, importantly, Paul says, repeatedly, desire the spiritual gifts. And we should try to walk in these. We should try to experience these, um, even if they're unfamiliar or maybe a little bit weird um, or maybe uncomfortable to us. Um, I think the first piece of advice I'd give you out of three pieces here is to um, try to get to know someone who's more familiar with this kind of thing than you are um, so maybe talk to someone who um, speaks in tongues right and ask them about their experience ask them what's that what's that's like you know kind of give you your experience with that those kind of things i think that's a good starting point right if you want to kind of start to get into this kind of world start to understand what's happening here um, i can tell you there are people in our congregation who speak in tongues. Um, I can tell you there are people in our congregation who pray for healing and not the kind of like, Lord, we pray that you'd heal them, but we know that you won't. So bless the doctors, <laughs> like actually think God might actually heal somebody sometime. Um, there are people in our congregation uh, who, um, again, uh, have the gift of prophecy. Um, so, again, this is something that um, is here and is around. Um, I have very good friends all around me who uh, walk in spiritual gifts and so draw near to them. Um, Talk to them, right? Learn from them. We've used the image of sailing as an image for being filled with the Holy Spirit and the image of having to learn how to sail, having someone come mentor you. Um, I don't think the spiritual gift is going to work in your life if you get like three steps and try to go home and do it on your own. It's going to work if you get to know someone who knows you and you can walk through life with them and you can fail with them and you can try with them and you can laugh with them and you can cry with them and you can learn from their experiences, right? So all of that leads me to a shameless plug um, Sam Smith is raise your hand Sam wave it to yeah. everybody Sam Hernandez is that serious? not marriage? <laughs> okay it better be I married y'all uh, <laughs> she's going to be leading a class on the Holy Spirit going to be a real practical and formative class on some of these issues um, Sam is a person in my life uh, who's just more experienced in these areas, who I go to um, with questions, and who I go to to try to get leadership on some of these things. And so, um, when I give this piece of advice, I'm thinking of her, and, and she has offered to do these four weeks on Tuesday nights. So, if you're interested in that, and come join us, I'll be here. Um, starts at seven, um, starting this Tuesday for four weeks, and come talk about the Holy Spirit and kind of digging deeper with that, um, some examples and, and more specific ways. The second uh, piece of advice I'd give you is to be bold. And then to be humble. And I think they go together. And so what I mean by being bold is, if you think that God is leading you to say something, say it. Right? I mean, just be kind of childlike in your faith. And say it. Go for it. If you think that God is calling you to pray over somebody for their healing, pray. Right? I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You look stupid. Pray in your mind. I will not even know. Be bold. Step out in faith. Don't be worried about looking silly or failing or doing those kind of things. Trust in the Spirit, trust in His leading and in His prompting. We get it wrong sometimes, sure, but you'll never get it right if you don't ever try. I mean, if you if you screen out all the promptings, um, then then all your assurances that you'll never ever walk in these kind of things. Um, so and then be humble, right? So don't be triumphant um, or authoritative. Um, so for instance, <coughs> prophecy. So I'll give a quick example again. Um, I uh, have experienced the gift of prophecy in my life. I've had it confirmed by other um, believers with the community around me. Um, When when prophecy is happening okay, through me and the Spirit's working in in that way, um, it's not like a big dramatic thing, right? Like where I'm like, holy crap, I'm about to to prophesy. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) It's just, uh, I I think I should say this to them. And when I say it, the effect of saying that or the truth that's revealed by saying that just happened to be beyond the culmination of my knowledge and wisdom. Does that make sense? And I, you know, The Spirit did that. That wasn't me. I didn't know that that was happening in your life. I didn't know that that was um, the truth that needed to be expressed to you at that moment at that time. And it was just this inclination that I needed to say that to you. Um, but on the other hand, uh, so I'm bold with that, right? I mean, I'm going to say it, but, but I'm humble in it too, and, and, and you don't need to be authoritative or intimidating, right? Um, you've never, ever heard me take the stance God told me to do this and we're going to do this. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't need my authority. And the Holy Spirit doesn't need me to intimidate people into listening to him. Does that make sense? Like, I've never come to a board meeting and said, God told me we're going to do this with our finances. And you're either going to obey me and obey God, or we're going to fight this out to the end. No, but I might go and go, hey, I wonder if God's leading us here. Let's talk about this as a community. Let's see if the Spirit will speak that to you as well as he's saying that to me. Let's see if we can confirm it that way. so, so if I'm getting the sense that maybe I need to say something to someone, I don't go, thus at the Lord, right? And I go, hey, I'm wondering. Hey, I'm guessing. The Spirit doesn't need me to bully people for him. Um, or with healings, right? So I've prayed for a lot of people to be healed. It's never happened as far as I'm aware. I'll continue to do it. It doesn't bother me either way. Um, I think as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when sometimes people get healed and sometimes they don't. I think it should make sense to us in our understanding of the world, right? The kingdom has come. God's will is being done on earth. as is in heaven, but not fully. The kingdom is not fully come. We're still waiting on the perfect to come. So sometimes God's will will be shown. And sometimes God's will will be um, delayed, will be hesitated for us. Sometimes we'll pray and, and they'll be healed. Sometimes we'll pray and they won't be healed. Um, and so I don't think it's something where you have to be authoritative, right? And say, of course, you're going to get healed. And, and if it doesn't happen, I'm going to self-loathe and doubt myself and those kind of things. Again, I think you, you're just bold and you're humble. When you feel like you are led to pray for someone for their healing. You pray and you expect God to heal them. And you ask that God would, would work through this and heal them powerfully, mightily, move in them, do something crazy, do something that weirded me out, heal them, get rid of that cancer. The next time they go to the doctor, it's not even there. And then if, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't shake you one way or the other. It doesn't even come into your mind the next time that prompting comes up. You let the Spirit move through you. I think the longer you act on these convictions, are bold, and are humble, the more you'll be able to discern the Spirit the better you'll be able to, to walk in these gifts, right? So if you look historically at people who, say, claim to heal people, um, this is something typically they pray for for years and years and years and years, right? Um, this is not something they're like, one day they thought it'd be cool to go into Kroger and heal people, right? I mean, this is like a depth of spiritual growth um, that, that most of us aren't at. Right. This is a, a closeness with God and a, a discerning of the Spirit that takes lots of time, lots of wisdom, lots of community, lots of failing, um, and lots of succeeding. Um, so the second one: be bold and be humble. And then the third one is to test your experience. Um, always test your experience. Paul says this over and over again. Um, the Spirit. Uh, when we talk about Spirit, we're talking about more of the emotional and experiential aspects of our faith, but there is the rational there and there is the intellectual aspects of our faith. And so Paul says at the beginning of twelve, right. The Spirit doesn't lead people to say Jesus is accursed. So if someone claims to be prophesying and saying Jesus is accursed, Paul's saying, tell them no. That's not the Holy Spirit. You need to line that up with Scripture. You need to test that. You need to test that with Scripture and see if it's true. He'll say this all the time. Test the prophets, discern the spirits, um, and line that up. And so um, I think we constantly need to be testing our experience both with Scripture and with community, with people around us who know us and love us and take care of us. Again, the gifts I don't think are meant to be used for one of us to get famous and start this worldwide ministry, right? I don't think that's why God allows people to heal people so they can get on a TV show and get filthy rich. Um, the gifts work in small communities of people who know and love each other, Who, where if I start getting boastful about perhaps I've prayed over a couple people and they've been healed, right, and I start making profit off of that, I've got brothers and sisters in Christ who come sit me down and go, hey, that's not how it works, brother. You've got to stop that now, Right? That's how the gifts are meant to function healthily. Um, When they get into this consumerism, right, American celebrity culture, of course they're going to be abused. Of course it's going to go all out of whack. That's not not ever how they were meant to to be around, but they were meant to be given to this local community who's on mission together, who loves and knows each other, who's holding each other accountable, who's coming together regularly to worship Christ, and who is enjoying the gifts that the Spirit gives them. And so we will pray this morning um, as we think about 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love. God's love for you and your love for others, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Um, let that be our prayer this morning. As we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, um, may we pray for our own lives that we may experience the Spirit's power in, in an ever deeper and ever um, more real way, um, that we might be faithful followers of Christ and uh, bring glory to Him, spreading the good news. We, uh, love you, Father. We love.